session with Dr. Farid Holaku. afternoon and welcome to In Session with Dr. Fadi Tolokwi. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Tolokwi, and I'll be with you for the next two hours here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in, 310-441-0555. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, so you can call with any questions related to clinical psychology, including any emotional or psychological issues, parenting issues, and relationship issues as well. You can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show or suggest topics or books for the program. And the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and podcast on iTunes. Again, our studio number, 310-441-0555. Let me announce the book of the week for this week again. It is The Righteous Mind by Jonathan Haidt, The Righteous Mind, Why Good People Are Divided by Politics and Religion. And it's a really fascinating book. It uh, came out five or six years ago, but very relevant now, looking at how we actually think we're thinking about moral issues and political issues, but the truth of it might be that we're feeling about them and then trying to figure out why we feel that way, or that the feelings come first and the reasoning comes second, which also explains why we have such a hard time when we debate with one another, changing each other's minds, because... We speak to each other about reasoning, but really what's making the decision is more emotional. And that's why we tend to get nowhere except get more angry and more divided. So um, looking forward to sharing uh, this book with you on Monday night's show. All right, so here in the United States today is October 10th, which is actually uh, World Mental Health Day. Now I know if you're maybe listening in Iran or Australia might already be October 11th, but here still it's October 10th. So I wanted to talk about World Mental Health Day. And really, there's a day for everything. Um, There's, I think, in the United States, we have like National Donut Day, National Talk Like a Pirate Day. There's basically everything. But I'm glad there is a World Mental Health Day. Uh, Although at the same time, as I always say, when we have, for example, Black History Month or International Day of Women, I say I hope for a day where we won't have that anymore because we won't need it anymore. So we won't have the level of racism we still have in this country or sexism that we have in the world, or we'll really recognize the importance and significance of mental health to a degree where we won't have to remind ourselves about it. So World Mental Health Day is a good day for us to think about the importance of mental health. And of course, my show, that's really the primary focus is to to talk about mental health issues, the taboos that we have surrounding mental health, and just get people to see that we all have something going on. And that's what I want to talk about when we we talk about today's World Mental Health Day, is that everyone has issues related to mental health. But it's interesting because some people think that doesn't have to do with me. Oh, mental health? No, I don't have any issues there. But we wouldn't say the same thing about physical health. We understand that everyone can have physical health issues, and in your life you will have physical health issues. And some of them will be bigger issues, like you might have a bad back, or you might have some kind of disease that you're constantly dealing with, or we have other issues like you get a cold or a flu, or you get a small injury. But we recognize that our physical health is not perfect, 
and it needs us to pay attention to it. And sometimes it needs more attention and sometimes it needs less, but we always are aware of our physical health. And I would hope the same would be true of our mental health, that we recognize that it too is never going to be perfect. We're always going to have some issues. Sometimes we'll have bigger issues, like you might have bipolar disorder or uh, schizophrenia or something else, or you might have a week where you're feeling kind of down and depressed, or maybe you're anxious about something. But you're going to have both types of issues probably in your life or definitely in someone's life that is close to you. And similar to our physical health, we can't ignore it or neglect it. We always have to pay attention to how we are doing mentally and emotionally. But many of us do ignore this and think we don't have to pay attention to it, or we don't have to do anything to help keep up our mental health. So people will exercise, they'll pay attention to their diet, they'll go to regular checkups with their doctors, they'll take vitamins or whatever else they might do for their physical health or their medications that they need. But when it comes to the mental health, they ignore that aspect or don't think about what they should be doing. Now, the good thing is that most things that are good for your physical health will also be good for your mental health. So even I mentioned physical exercise, and we know that that's actually one of the best things you can do for your mental health. It can be as helpful or even more helpful for some people than antidepressant medication for someone dealing with depression. Uh, eating well is going to be good for you also. Eating the right things for your body will help you feel better. And we know there's a big connection between how you feel physically and what you eat and how you feel mentally. Or even we know that there's a lot of neurons or um, a lot of what you feel comes from your stomach. That's why we talk about gut feelings and things like that. It's actually something true to that. So what you eat also affects how you feel. And when we look at this in a bigger picture, what we see is that we try to divide health or well-being into multiple areas. So there's physical health and mental health, and we try to make them completely separate things. And although there is a way we can differentiate certain aspects of physical and mental health, what we recognize is that they're actually part of one overall well-being. Because we know that your physical health affects your mental health, and your mental health affects your physical health. If you are depressed, it's going to affect your sleep, it's going to affect your eating, it's going to affect your energy levels, all of which are physical symptoms or physical. And if you get a diagnosis uh, of cancer or some other medical diagnosis, it's going to affect you psychologically and mentally as well. So we can try to separate them completely and say this is purely physical and this is purely psychological or purely mental, but we really see that it's hard to draw that line clearly. And we should maybe be focused more on overall well-being. But what my hope for, or my hope is that we incorporate the mental health and the emotional side and we don't ignore that the way that we have. So even I say the same way that we go to get a physical once a year and you get a blood, your blood work done and the doctor checks you out, what if we had a mental where at least once a year everyone would go see a psychologist and get checked out, see how they're doing mentally, emotionally, if anything is going on, anything significant, and maybe see if they need more treatment or something added or taken away in their life. So we can actually go towards a mindset where we include mental health in our everyday every week, every month, every year type of thinking. But coming back to this idea of 
mental health as something that's not about me. All of us are dealing with mental health issues. And what I always think is very sad is that people walk around and we think we have to have these masks on, that everything is okay, that I am happy, I am strong, I don't have weaknesses, I don't have insecurities, I don't have bad days, I'm always feeling good. And we all do this with each other. We all um, pretend in this way to one another. Even people in close relationships. I deal with families all the time or husbands and wives and see that they are not being open with one another about what they are going through, the pains that they have. And what you see is that when people start to open up and start to share, many things start to happen. One is we start to feel more okay. Because when you talk about something, when it no longer is taboo, it no longer is something you have to be ashamed of. It's no longer something you have to hide. So we can feel better about ourselves when we share, I get depressed sometimes, I have anxiety, I deal with this issue, um, I've dealt with a drug issue or alcohol issue or whatever it is that you've had to deal with. It doesn't make you a bad person, a bad human being. It makes you a human being. We all have these issues. We're all dealing with these things. And also, we feel better, but also our relationships become closer. If everyone pretends like they're okay, if everyone just shows their best side, you don't actually get very close. And you've probably experienced this in your friendships or even if you're dating someone. When you first start to date, for example, at the beginning, everyone shows their best side, and it could be fun and exciting, and you might like the other person a lot. But you don't really start to feel close to someone until they start opening up about some of the pains in their life or some of the things that they're dealing with. You will never feel that close to someone. You might like them. You might feel good around them. You might even enjoy their company and want to spend time with them. But you're not going to get a feeling of closeness until you start to open up, peel back the layers a little bit, and show some of your weaknesses, vulnerabilities, and pains from your past and what you're currently dealing with. So in many relationships, we see that they don't get that deep because one or both of them are afraid to show those sides of themselves. We think we have to always look good. We have to always show a good side that who's going to love me if I show this weakness or this vulnerability? Or if I show that and then they leave me, it's going to hurt even more. So it's scarier to open up in that way. So I've worked with couples before who've maybe even been married for a decade. And you see that they, although they are spending a lot of time together and they've been around each other a lot, they actually aren't very close to one another. Their relationship has remained at the surface. It hasn't gone very deep because they're afraid to show their true colors to one another. And this type of a relationship can feel much more safe. It can keep you in your comfort zone that... They don't see any of my rough edges. They don't see any of the ugly sides. They don't see those deeper parts of me. But it's never going to get very close. And you're never going to really feel like they truly love the real you because you haven't shown that to them. You're only showing them a very surface level, a mask, a facade, some parts of you that you think they're going to like, but not all of you. So you're never going to feel like they really love me. And actually, most people in this situation think if they saw the real me, oh, they would run away. They wouldn't love me anymore. And this even happens in therapy in a different way, where sometimes 
a client or all of us, even in the first session very often, people might not show as much of what's going on because they're trying to protect their image in front of the therapist. And so they'll maybe talk about some things, they'll talk about some issues they have, but they won't really get into the deep stuff. And it takes some time and they go deeper and deeper. And very often clients will even say, maybe you liked me before, but I'm sure you like me less now that you've, I've shared these things to you. And I've mentioned this many times before, but I'll repeat it again, that almost always the feeling is that you like the person more when they show you their weaknesses, their pains, their vulnerabilities, when they show you their scars. That's when we really feel like we know someone. When they tell us they're okay and they tell us everything is fine, we don't really feel like we can connect to one another. But it's only when we show those parts that we can really feel like we get to know someone. So today's World Mental Health Day, and I hope it's a reminder that we all have mental health issues that you have them and that's okay and everyone you meet and everyone you know has them too and that makes them okay too that's part of being human and it's a reminder that when you see someone even if you don't know what's going on for them even if you don't know anything about them you can be sure that they have lots of pains and lots of issues and things that they've had to deal with and are currently dealing with too and you don't, you don't even know half of what's going on and you probably won't get to know but hopefully that can let you have a little bit more compassion for everyone that you interact with. That you don't know what they're going through, but it probably is a whole lot. There's this famous story, I think it's from The Road Less Traveled, I can't remember, uh, the author Scott Peck shares in that book. Wherever the story is, but it's a really interesting one, he talks about being on a subway, and he sees this man with what looks like his three or four kids, and the kids are just being obnoxious and making lots of noise and fighting and disturbing just everyone on the train. And he just keeps thinking and looking at this dad, like, what a bad dad. He's not doing anything to make his kids behave. And he's judging him as a father and as a person and even judging the kids. And then after a minute or two, somehow he interacts with the man or maybe even says something to him about the kids and maybe the noise they're making. And the dad says, oh, I'm sorry, we just came back from the hospital. Their mother died. And he realized, wow, here I was judging this man and judging these kids and thinking he's a bad father and not caring about these kids, but look at what he's going through right now. And of course he felt horrible, but it's just a reminder that we don't know what someone else is going through. We don't know the pain that they have. And I hope we can all recognize that the pain we have is okay and worth sharing and talking about and that we don't have to ignore it and that we're allowed to get help, and we're allowed to help one another and get help from our loved ones. And that's one of the reasons why we have each other, is to support each other physically, financially, whatever else it might be, but very importantly, emotionally as well, that we're allowed to have that. And if you're someone who's dealing with some issue, and when I say that, really I'm talking to everyone, we're dealing with something, know that you're okay to have whatever issue you have, and you're also allowed to get help. You can go see a therapist. You can go see a psychiatrist. You can talk to your friends. And if your friends and your family can't be there for you to talk about your feelings and what you're going through, then they're not really that great of friends and family to be with or to spend your time with. Be with people that can support you emotionally, that are okay to hear what you're going through, that want to support you in whatever it is that you're going through. That's what true friendship and love means. So if you're dealing with something... Please know that you're okay 
as a human being, we have physical health issues and we have mental health issues. All of that is part of being human and we're allowed to get help and we should get help to feel better and to live a better life because you deserve that. All right, we've reached our first commercial break. Studio number 3104410555. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Delaqui. We'll be right back. Studio number 3104410555. During the break, um, I got a question about marriage and how it seems like this generation is not getting married at all or not getting married young anymore. And it's something I hear from both young and old people where they ask about this or they worry about this or they wonder about why might that be. And I think there's a lot of reasons to look at this issue or things that can explain what's going on. To begin with, times have definitely changed. Many generations ago, it made sense to get married young for many reasons, including that people couldn't do much else but get married, especially women. The woman didn't have much of a choice several generations ago at all to do much but become a wife and a mother. We didn't give them much choice. So it made sense to get married young. And of course, men valued youth and so it made a lot of sense. But we've seen many changes happen over the past few generations where now women are given the opportunity to have more of a life for themselves. And because of that, we actually have entered a new type of era with love where we don't have to get married. It's not a need anymore, which is good overall, but maybe some people will say bad because people won't choose to get married as much. But now it's a choice to get married. And that's good. People should choose to get married, not feel that they are forced to get married because of their age or because of social convention. And because of that, each individual has to really ask themselves, do I want to get married or be in a serious relationship? And the answer does not have to be yes. You have to ask yourself, am I someone who wants to keep someone in mind in my life and take care of them and be aware of them? Do I want to open up to someone and get close to someone and create that type of relationship? And also look at if I want it or not, what are my own issues related to being with someone or being in a relationship? Am I in fact someone who would do well in a serious romantic relationship? And if so, what kind of romantic relationship do I want? What do I want that to look like? So because people now have a choice, this also affects the amount that people get married. So I hear a lot from the older generation complaining that these people, these younger kids don't get married anymore or they don't want to get married. And the truth is they don't have to get married. They can want to get married, but that's a very different situation. So we have that opportunity now, which also creates something very beautiful that people can choose to be together and to have really what we can call a true love. Because when you have a relationship that's based on dependency, especially a romantic relationship that's based on dependency, we don't have true love. 
if I am married to you because I need you, because without you I die, I don't survive, that doesn't create the opportunity for us to really fall in love with each other, which is what we need to create true love. So that's a good thing that people have that. Now, so with this choice, of course, we also see that many people are choosing not to get married. And although I'm saying it's good for people to think about if they want to get married and be in a serious relationship or not, if they don't want to be in a serious relationship, they have to think about the whys. Why is it that I'm choosing not to get married and not just stay at the what? Okay, I don't want to get married or I don't feel like that. Because what I also see is that many people are choosing not to get married because they're comfortable in their life, which makes sense. If you're a man or a woman, you can have your career and stand on your own two feet, support yourself financially, have your friends, even date casually or have relationships, but maybe not enter a serious relationship, and you're okay. People are not miserable and they're not dying or not able to survive on their own. And so that's a good thing that they can do that. But what I see is that many people still do yearn for closeness. I think there is a natural human need to have closeness with someone or even some ones to have relationships, but to have that closeness. But because they rather stay comfortable, they're choosing not to enter a serious romantic relationship. And to me, that is not the right reason not to be with someone. Because in that sense, you're essentially choosing comfort over really giving yourself what you want. Or another way of looking that, because you're afraid of getting hurt in a serious romantic relationship, you're choosing fear over taking the risk to give yourself what you actually want, which can happen in any aspect of your life. In your career, you might have a job and you're comfortable at that job. It's easy for you. You get paid an okay amount that is enough for you, but it's not really the job you love or you desire or the one that would really challenge you in a way that would be best for you. But most people still choose the comfortable route. Let me pick the job that's easy. Let me pick the job that I know I can get. Let me pick the job I know I'll always be successful at. But as I always say, the comfort zone and staying comfortable, it leaves you unhappy, unsatisfied, and unfulfilled. You won't feel great about your job. You won't be giving yourself the most you can get. And something will always feel missing. And that's what many people feel. They choose not to get married or they keep pushing it off or pushing it back. And they're okay. They're not miserable and depressed, but something always feels like it's missing. So I ask people to pay attention to that. Am I choosing not to get married and not to get into a serious relationship because actually it's not the right thing for me or because I'm actually a little bit afraid of it? Because what we're also seeing is people are feeling much more independent. I can take care of myself and I have my friends and that's great. And it also feels good that we feel that no one can hurt me because we have to recognize the risk we take when we enter a romantic relationship. When you enter a romantic relationship and the closer you get and the more attached you get and the more you open up and the more you feel emotionally connected to that individual, the more you also have to lose, the more you're actually risking that you can get hurt. I've heard some people say that falling in love or being in love is giving someone the power to hurt you, trusting that they won't. So giving someone the power to hurt you, but trusting that they won't hurt you, which can be scary. And if you're someone who feels good and feels strong, you might not want to take that risk. 
And some people, they're not aware of this risk and that it's scary for them. And some people are very aware of it. They say, you know what? I'm happy. My life is good. Why would I create a situation where I could be hurt? Why would I give someone that power? Why would I enter a relationship where things could go wrong? Uh, the person could cheat on me. We could break up for other reasons. Uh, the person could even die or get hurt or something happens to them. And I would be devastated. There's lots of ways that you can get hurt. And, you know, you could say the same thing about having kids. Now, kids probably won't cheat on you and go be with other parents, but kids can get hurt or sick or things can happen to them too. And it's a risk. So it has to be worth it for you. But for me, it's very important for us to not let the fear win, to not let fear make the decisions in your life. I'm afraid of going on in that job interview and getting rejected, so I'm not going to go. I'm afraid of getting close to someone because they can hurt me, so I'll never get close to anyone and protect myself. Comfort is the enemy of living a good life. If you want to be safe, put yourself in a room, lock all the doors, don't talk to anyone. I promise you no one will ever hurt you. No one will ever reject you. You'll never get fired from a job. Nothing bad like that will ever happen to you. But you'll also be miserable. You'll be unhappy. You'll be depressed. You'll be unsatisfied, unhappy, unfulfilled. And that'll be your life. So we want to make sure we're not letting fear win in our lives. Because when it does, we don't get what we want. We don't get the best that we can have. So I'm seeing a lot of that in this generation. That the fear of getting hurt is getting in the way of them actually getting close to someone. Because people are feeling good and strong and okay in their lives. And the thought of risking getting close to someone is something that they are afraid of. But the analogy I like is looking at climbing a mountain. And when it comes to our romantic lives, if you want, you don't have to try very hard to get close to someone, but you're going to stay basically at the base of the mountain, which is not very enjoyable. You don't have much of a view. You don't have much of an experience. The higher you climb up that mountain, and in this case, that means getting closer to someone, letting yourself risk getting hurt, letting yourself risk getting close and having that intimacy, the higher you go, the more treacherous it gets. The oxygen becomes less. You can fall from a higher height. It's a little bit more risky the higher you go. But also, the higher you go on that mountain, the more beautiful the view that you get to enjoy the more you've also shared this experience with someone of climbing together that you get to share. That means much more than just staying at the bottom of the mountain, staying safe. So if we risk going higher on this mountain, we get to experience something much more beautiful. But yes, the higher you go, the further you can fall back down. And that's what's scary. If you break up with someone after one week, you feel okay. Even if you found out they cheated on you or something, you might not like it, of course, it'll be hurtful, but the pain is much less than if you're married 15 years and that same thing happens. That's going to be much more painful. So you're creating more risk, but you're also getting something much more beautiful in return. And that's really the truth of life. If you don't risk anything, if you don't invest anything, you don't get much back. You won't get anything back. We have to take that risk in order to get that reward of getting something beautiful. And that top of that mountain, people can try to describe it to you, and people do, and we see poetry and music and all sorts of things trying to describe what love feels like, although sometimes those are very empty, but maybe I won't talk about that right now. But nonetheless, people try to describe what they feel like when they're in love, but it's really nothing you can imagine or describe to someone. It's something you have to experience. And the same is true of seeing that view from the mountain. 
you can see pictures of it, but it won't be the same of actually climbing the mountain yourself and experiencing it for yourself. So I hope that people will take that risk of climbing together, climbing with someone, trusting someone, trusting the right person that they feel that they deserve to trust and they deserve to want to get close to, but that they'll take that risk. So for the older generation, yes, you're right. Some of the younger generation maybe are avoiding getting close to each other. Some of it is for good reason. I think it makes sense to get married later now because people have to establish their careers and get to know themselves more. Times have changed. People are finding themselves in a different way than they did before. So you're right about that, that they're waiting maybe too much, but maybe it's for good reason. And to the younger generation, yes, think about if you really want to get married. But if that answer does come out, no. Or even if it becomes yes, really think about why. But especially if it's no, make sure you think about why that is. Is it really because you don't want it or is it because you are afraid of it? And what I've seen is that for most people that say no, the true answer is that they are afraid of what will happen if they can get hurt. They're afraid of risking and being vulnerable and opening themselves up to someone. And you have to ask yourself, do I want to live my life in fear? Do I want to let fear make the decisions in my life? Or do I want to risk and give myself what I really want and what would be most meaningful and valuable to me? All right, we've reached our next commercial break. Studio number 310-441-0555. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Delaqui. We'll be right back. back let's go to a caller radio hamra you're on the air hello I have a grand, yeah i have a grandson he's one year old okay and from day one that he was born he uh sorry i have uh, yeah um it's not like that he did not take sorry we i can't yeah. hear what your sound is not coming in clear Not not a lot better. Okay. If you're on speaker, take it off speaker. I don't know if you're in the car. No, not much. Can you hear me? Yeah, a little bit better, yeah. Okay, go ahead. Okay. Yes, <laughs> call or text us anytime, sure. Yeah, now I can hear you a little better. Go ahead. You know, everything you said did not come totally clear, but I'll I'll give some, hopefully, uh, feedback to what you said. You said he's one, and I think you said he would want to stay at his mother's breast for hours, if I understood yeah. correctly. Yeah. But then now they're putting him daycare, daycare for 10 hours a day. Um, 
that to me is not uh, at all a good idea at that age. 10 hours a day is way, way too much. I mean, I'd rather he's not in daycare yet at all, but maybe a, um, a few hours at the most, 10 hours is, is definitely not a good idea. I understand that it's very easy to just say that for me here, but families have to deal with lots of financial restraints and issues that they have to face. Um, but I would say that, uh, you know, that to me is way too much. Now, you know, every child is going to be a little bit different too, and we have to be aware of the differences they might have, sensitivities they might have. A lot of children have sensory motor issues from a very young age. That means that they want to get soothed in ways that other kids uh, might not need. But anyway, is was that the main question that you had? Yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I talked about this on Monday's show a little bit, that usually parents think the only job they have is to stop their kids from crying. Although I said that for babies, that is true, that really you want to pay attention to why they're crying because that's their only way of communicating. But as kids get older, we want to realize that their crying is not something just to get rid of. It's something that we actually want to communicate with them about and talk about how they're feeling and what they're feeling and all of that. Um, but at this age, we want to be aware of what's what's going on for him and, and try to figure that out. It's definitely something I would say more the pediatrician has to be involved, and I'm sure they are involved with the pediatrician, to see what's going on for your grandson. If there's something he's sensitive to, like I said, there's sensory motor issues. If it's something physically that he's going through, it's hard for me to say just based on what you said exactly what it is but well, if he's crying like he has a good chart he has a good physical checkup with his doctor okay um, the, i think the problem is that both, you know my daughter she does not have the experience of uh, starting this uh, right habit from earlier mm-hmm. and uh, he, uh, he has slept with his parents now obviously he's going to be very difficult to um, yeah. Well, you know, something, in, yeah, well, you know, that's also actually an interesting point you brought up because if we make our goal just to make a kid stop crying or prevent them from crying, sometimes we do things that are not good for them long term. So, some, if, if, you know, that's why I think, that's why I wanted to make that point when you said they want to try to get him to stop crying, which I understand. But if we make that our only goal, we lose sight of bigger picture things. So, you know, if a kid is crying, very often if you say, okay, you can sleep in mommy and daddy's bed, maybe they'll stop crying, even when they're five years old, six years old. But that's not always the best uh, solution long term. So we have to be aware of not getting fixated on just stopping the tears, because if we do that, we might miss out on bigger issues that are going on. So for example, if you're weaning a child from breastfeeding, the kid might not like it. But if you say, well, every time the kid cries, I'm going to make them stop. The way you're going to make them stop is by breastfeeding them again, so you won't actually be weaning them. Um, So for me, this is a very important issue for parents, really of all ages. With babies, again, it's less because you do want to really focus on what they're crying about because that's how they communicate. But as kids get older, if our focus is just on stopping tears, we miss the bigger picture. So a kid says, I want to stay up past my bedtime and starts crying. You know, you have to sometimes let them know, you know, I know you want to stay up. I know you want to maybe have fun or whatever it is that they're doing. But we have to make sure we go to sleep on time because we want to not be tired tomorrow. So the parents can't just give in to whatever the kid wants. So um, I think you're right. We want to be aware of what habits and things we start from a very young age. 
and with kids, this is very important. And it's not always that there's exactly one way to do things, but consistency is important. And also, uh, you know, 10 hours a day, as I agree with you, that's going to be way too long for a kid of that age. That's going to feel like forever for him. And that's not going to be good for him. It's not going to be a, a good feeling, especially when you have so much closeness that he's sleeping in the bed and then you put him away for yeah. 10 hours. You know, that it's just too much extremes. It's not, not going to be good. Yeah, I suggested that to start like first week, maybe half a day, and then second week, you more. Yeah. But they said, oh, this food does not allow that. Yeah. Right. Now, here's another thing I'll mention that, as I said, I agree with a lot of what you're saying. But at the same time, the role of the grandparent is definitely going to be a more supportive role. Um, you have to allow for them to make the decisions they're going to make. You can talk to your daughter and have conversations with her. But you have to realize that as a grandparent, your availability or your responsibility and even the power that you have and authority is going to be limited with them. So you have to respect that mom and dad have to make the decisions if they want to consult with you or get your opinion, of course, you're going to be there. But it has to be much more about what they decide to do. And I know maybe that's tough when you see them do something that you think is hurtful to your grandkid. And, of course, they love him and you love him. But you have to make sure you don't overstep that role of grandparent because mom and dad have to be on the same page. And that could be hard enough. But then if extended family gets involved, that could even complicate things further. And I'm not saying that's necessarily what you're doing, but I've worked with a lot of families to see that everyone sometimes has their opinion and it, they get involved and it becomes very ugly and messy and it makes it even harder for the parents to deal with what's going on. And so the role of grandparents and extended family is a supportive role, um, but it's not a decision-making role. No, I don't want to be trying. I'm not going to try to confront a life. I'm just yeah and I agree with you on that and you know unfortunately the sound is not coming in very clear it keeps breaking up um, so we might maybe it'll be better for us to end the call just because I don't know if listeners and I just really can't make out a lot of what you're saying but I will say this, even you said I give my advice, what I always tell parents, whatever age your kids are, is to try to create more conversations than lectures, meaning that even if you're giving your advice, it should be in the context of a conversation with your daughter rather than telling her, do this, don't do this, this is right, this is wrong. It should be more of a back and forth. And I tell this of parents, if they have kids that are five years old or 15 years old, don't lecture excuse me, lecture your kids, talk to them in a conversation. So with your daughter, I would say try to have that more than telling her this is wrong, this is right. And also, if you do that, you're more likely to get your point across to her than if she feels that you're judging her and lecturing her about parenting. I understand. Thank you so much, Dr. I appreciate it. Thanks for your call. Thank you. So, you know, this issue she brought up, or she brought up a lot of things. I do want to make a few comments about that because... I see so many parents and their focus and their preoccupation is on making sure their kids don't cry or are not sad. And a lot of parents have guilt if they see their kids crying. That, you know, they, Persian parents have some things they might even say about their kid when they're crying um, that make it seem like, okay, the kid is suffering so much because they're sad. And I talked about this a bit on Monday's show, but because of what she said, I'll repeat it a bit here. 
that this idea that being sad is so bad that it has to be avoided at any costs is a big problem. You're not supposed to be always happy. You can't be always happy. And your kids won't be and can't be and don't need to be always happy either. And your role as a parent is not to make sure they're always smiling. Yes, of course, you take care of them. You make sure they're okay. You give them what they need. But you recognize that life and just being even in the home or just living with other people is going to make them sad sometimes. And that can be okay. So when you see that your child is sad, rather than responding with, I have to make you stop crying as soon as possible, first try to understand what your child is feeling and empathize with them and show them that you care about what they feel and even help them learn from what they're feeling and then try to see what you can do going forward. But don't start with the strategy of whatever makes my kids stop crying is the right strategy, which is what a lot of parents do. So your kid is doing their homework and they get frustrated and they want to, they cry and you say, okay, just don't do your homework. Stop doing homework. No, you can recognize that it's frustrating. Sit with them, give them support. They can maybe even take a break from the homework, but you wouldn't just say, okay, you don't have to do it ever again, or you don't have to do it tonight because you're crying. It also teaches them something really bad, which is that if you show a lot of emotion like this, you kind of just get your way. You get whatever you want, even if it isn't something good. And this is what a lot of parents do when it comes to rules. You know, I'll work with parents and they'll say, we have rules in the house, this, this, and this. But then when you look at what happens is they have rules up until the point where the kid reacts strongly to the rule, and then they just give them whatever they want. So sometimes I tell parents, do you really have rules in your house, or you just say you have the rules? Because if you have a bedtime, but if the kid cries enough, you let them stay up as late as they want, then you don't really have a bedtime. You just have a time you'd like for them to sleep, but you don't really enforce that rule or make that something real. So if you want to have boundaries with your kids, you have to be willing to disappoint them sometimes. I know you want to stay up, but bedtime is 9.30. I know you want to go play outside right now, but it's dark and we can't go outside when it's dark. Or I know you want to do this, but it's time for this. So we have to be willing to disappoint our kids. And if your only goal is to make sure your kids never cry, you're not going to allow yourself to do that. And then another point about extended family, because I see this so often, it can be so nice to have grandparents and grandparents with their kids can have a very sweet relationship that I think can be very nice and valuable, both for the, the grandkid and the grandparents. It can be really nice. But as extended family, we have to be aware of our role as supporters and not actually being involved in any decision making, that we don't make the decisions for where the kid goes or what happens or how things are going to be. We're just supporting in whatever way they want us to support. Okay, you want us to watch the kids tonight so you guys can go on your date night? Sure. And even when you watch the kids, you want to still act towards the kids as much as you can the way the parents do. So it's not like, okay, the parents don't let him do this, but when they're gone, I'm going to let him do it as much as he wants. Or when the parents are too soft on them, so I'm going to be harder on them. Or the parents do this, so I'm going to do that. That consistency is going to be more important than trying to do whatever you think is the right thing for a few moments or hours here and there. Your role is supporting, keeping things as consistent as possible. Your role is not to make decisions, even if you think you know best. And if you see something that you think is not good or not healthy for the kid or the family, as I was saying with her, don't lecture your kids, have conversations with your kids. Let them know 
that this is how you feel, but you want to know how they feel or what you think. And let them know they know best at the end because it's their child, but this is just some things that you have on your mind. But if you try to lecture them and tell them this is what you should do and you're doing it wrong, they're just going to push you away more and more. And even whatever you're trying to tell them probably won't get to them anyway. So create conversations, not lectures. All right, let's go to our next commercial break. Studio number 310-441-0555. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fatty Delacqui. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's go to another caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hi, Dr. Hi, thanks for calling. How are you today? Good, thank you. Perfect. Uh, I have some question about my son. My son I have a son and he's six years old. Okay. And, and I'm 30, 32 years old. And one year ago, I got divorced. Mm. And, and what's that? And for right now, my son lives with me. And uh, and his mom coming to see uh, her son, and she's gonna take care of some stuff, something like that. But the specific uh, my question is about my son. My son was born early, and okay. what's that uh, for? When he was what's that? At six months and a half, they put him in the machine and they took care of my son. But my son condition, uh, what's that? She, uh, he has some issue was that, uh, for example, my son for right now, he's walking on his toe. Mm-hmm. And for and also for his speech, uh, he, uh, he has problems. For example, for right now, he's six years old, but what's that? Uh, he's going to, you know, uh, he's going to like our language, the first language, for he or she, uh, he, he has a problem, something like that. Okay. Or sometimes... Sometimes he's going to say, okay, daddy, I'm going to eat water. He's not going to say drink water. Mm-hmm. Okay. But he'll, yeah. And I'm, uh, what's that? Before, what's that? Because my income is not good and we have some benefits from the insurance. And we, when he was uh, two years old, we took him to a speech therapy. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but they, uh, what's that? They cancel it because, you know, the, the insurance you're going to have from government, they're not going to cover everything. Okay. But, are you are you in the United States? Uh, yeah. Okay, because uh, usually through the school, you can get some services also. Okay. Does that make sense? So through the school, the school should be, I most of the time, so I don't want to guarantee anything, but they'll give you some services for him like speech therapy or other things. So make sure you go through the school as well, because if the insurance doesn't provide it, the school almost always will give you some things. Maybe it's not as good, but it'll give you something as far as speech therapy goes, for example. Okay. Okay. Yeah, actually, what's that? Uh, when, uh, last year, he went to kindergarten. Mm-hmm. Now he's in first grade. And I spoke, uh, we spoke with uh, his teacher, and... Uh, and his teacher told us uh, what's that 
I told his teacher, okay, my son needs uh, to have a speech therapy or something like that. And his teacher told us, uh, no, your son, your, your son is okay. Okay. Because uh, he can understand perfectly when I speak with him. And I know your son has a problem when he, he's going to speak, but he's going to get better. And they told me, no, I don't think so, as he's going to, what's that? Okay. Get it soon. Well, what's that? Uh, but uh, my son is going to a school, and mm-hmm. sometimes uh, I think my son is going to show something, uh, you know. I think uh, he's not going to act like his age. Sometimes I think my son is four years old or three years old. Okay. Now, I, I don't know, you know, even what you said about his speech, kids his age are still going to make a lot of speech mistakes. So I don't know if it necessarily means he has a speech problem. I would still look into it and, and make sure he gets the help he needs if he needs it. But if a five-year-old is struggling sometimes with he or she or sometimes making those kinds of mistakes, it doesn't necessarily mean some big speech problem. So I wouldn't be so concerned. You said something about walking on his toes. That's something I would, you know, with his medical doctor talk about and see if they recommend any kind of physical therapy or occupational therapy or whatever it might be for that too, because that can be something that you know, maybe can be helped at a younger age is probably could be better. I'm, I'm not a medical doctor to speak on that, but I would look into that as well. But one thing, I, I think it's good for you to, to pay attention to him and make sure he's okay. But we also want to make sure we're not worrying about things that are not to be worried about. Like if his speech is okay, I don't want you to keep thinking his speech is a problem. You can get him tested or you can talk to his teacher some more. But if they say his speech is okay... I wouldn't get so fixated on the fact that because he makes some mistakes, there has to be a problem. Kids his age, six-year-olds, are going to say things wrong, and usually people just think it's very cute. It doesn't necessarily mean he has a speech problem, per se. Okay. Actually, what's that for his toes? Because when I came to U.S., what's that? And I told his mom, okay, what's that for his his at his feet, uh, we need to see something, uh, I don't know, we're going to call it, tro- uh, not tro- uh, orthoped? Okay, yeah, like orthopedic, that. yeah, an orthopedic doctor. Uh, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah, and uh, with, uh, what's that? Because uh, uh, I was thinking maybe what's that, something mentally, my son has a problem because uh, he's going to uh, walk on his toes, and they put him on the calf for almost uh, two months. Mm-hmm. And after that, he was okay, and he was walking uh, uh, flat feet. Mm-hmm. And after that, that was for Halloween. Uh, we went somewhere, and someone, uh, and they did uh, fireworks, something like that. And my son uh, got a skirt. Mm-hmm. And after that, he jumped, and again, he walked on his toe. And the last doctor, one month ago, we went uh, over there. The, the doctor told us, okay, the surgery it's so easy, but we're going to make sure mentally uh, uh, your son is okay because he was born early, and they're going to do some tests. I don't know. They're going to watch it with some some engineers. I don't know okay. what kind of test it. They're going to watch my son. There are many doctors and engineers. Uh, they're going to watch it. What's going on? Okay. And 
and because for for his future, you know, you talk about what's that if someone or your father always say that maybe someone has a problem physically, maybe in the future they're going to get depressed. Well, maybe one thing I'm also hearing in you is you have a lot of anxiety, and I understand you're worried about your son. But my f- concern is that you can get so worried about everything that you put so much pressure on everything too. That if he's dealing with some things, it's good. Get tests, get, see the doctors. Um, but I wouldn't say, okay, he has a physical issue. He ha- he's going to become depressed when he's older. Absolutely, I don't want you to ignore it, and I want you to work on it right now. But I wouldn't jump to this conclusion that he has to be depressed because of this, so we have to fix it right now and, and put a lot of pressure on things. And it seems like your son is anxious. If you're saying he was walking a certain way, he started to change, and then he got afraid and he started to walk that way again. I could see what you're saying, that maybe it's not just physical. There could be something psychological going on. So we want to get it checked out. But I don't want you to get so uh, obsessed with everything that your son is going through that you worry him or you put more anxiety on the situation that needs to be. Yeah, because I always because his mom has the full of custody. Okay. But my son, but my son lives with me. So why is uh, why is that the case? I'm just trying to understand. You're saying you have she has full custody, but he lives with you. Uh, yes. Okay. Why is that? What happened that that happened? Uh, 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 what's that? I I lived in this country for six years. Okay. Uh, and what's that? And um, what's that? Just for the background, you know what's going on. Uh-huh. And. And my my wife uh, uh, grew up here when he was uh, when she was a kid for uh, I don't know ten years or eight years. They moved to to the U.S. and after that we got married in my country. Mm-hmm. And after that it took time when I was twenty five years old. And my son, uh, my son, I was twenty six. I got my visa and I moved to America. And my son was born here. When I was my con- I was in Iran. Mm-hmm. This happened to my son. Okay. Okay. And actually, we had a problem because uh, uh, I had a problem, and my uh, my ex-wife had a problem because my ex-wife also had a what's that confusion for two cultures. Yes. Uh, she, she didn't know uh, she's American or right. But I'm still. Iranian. But can you tell me in a quick way why does the son live with you, but she has custody? I, I want to understand that. Uh, uh, yeah. But, 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 uh, what's that? After that, uh, we got divorced, and I went to a different state and uh, okay. li- lived with my uh, my sister. And what's that? My ex-wife went to uh, one of uh, what's that? Uh, her friend's house. And after that, uh, I I understood what's that that house and uh, my ex-wife is living over there with my son. They're not good people. Something like a drug dealer, something okay. like that. Mm-hmm. And I came back to uh, California, and and I what's that told my ex-wife if you're not if you cannot take care of uh, my son, just let me. Uh, I'm gonna take care of him. And you can go everywhere you like. Okay. That's okay, that's, that's yeah, I, and I understand you wanted to protect him. It's very important. But, um, you know, what's important is that also he gets to have both of you. Of course, I don't know if you're saying, is she addicted to drugs or there was drugs in that home? Uh, no, no, she, she, uh, she, uh, she, uh, she doesn't. 
What's that? Uh, that friend. Okay. Uh, what's that? Uh, yeah. Okay. Husband. So uh, yeah. sure. Okay. But but what's important as much as you know we're talking about all these appointments and things he can have, which is good. You know he he needs to have both of his parents. That's going to be very important. So I would look for a way that he could be close to both of you, rather than just have one of you and she comes visits from another state here and there. That might be more helpful than even the appointments in some ways. If you can find a way to be together and and maybe it's just a language thing but i hear you say even when you're talking to her you say my son but it's your son with her so our son and he has yes, two yes. parents and he needs both of you yeah that's right actually what's up my ex uh, my ex wife is close to us okay it's not like that she's going to be a different city okay. or a different okay. state but uh, i don't know exactly where she lives but well she's close to us but but what's that uh my son was that he's a happy boy. Okay. And sometimes I speak with, with uh, his teacher, uh, they're going to say, what's that? Um, your son, uh, our son, is going to do something like silly stuff. For example, uh, what's that? We're going to tell your son, uh, pay attention, and he's going to do silly stuff, okay? And he's going to laugh at us, and... He's gonna say, "Okay, I'm gonna tell my daddy." And we, for example, we're gonna, uh, I'm gonna tell my daddy what what happened, and my daddy is gonna say, "Okay," and we're gonna play ninja, yeah, okay. something like that. And uh, and a few months ago, my son was so interested. What's that? With dangerous stuff, something like scissor, knife, and he was. Asking about something, whether he was so interested in blood or something like the brain. For example, he was saying, Daddy, I'm going to let me cut your hand and I'm going to see your nerve or your blood, what's, what's going on. And I was mm -hmm. surprised and I spoke with his mom. Uh, you can take our son to a, see a psychologist like that, but you know, like most Iranian people, they think if you're going to take your son to a doctor, it's a bad idea, and people are going to talk behind our son, and it's a bad. And I told his mom, we have to get it seriously, because yeah. I don't want to, in the future, my son is going to be involved in crime or violence. Well, hold on. Let me, okay, so let me, you did it again. I understand when he's concerned about these things, or he brings up blood and those things, I would be concerned too. But don't jump to he's going to be a criminal when he's 20 years old. Lots of kids have questions and we want to understand, is he angry? Is he going through something? What's happening? But don't jump ahead that, okay, he walks funny, he's going to be depressed. He thinks about blood, he's going to be a killer. Don't jump to that conclusion. Okay, he's thinking about, he's asking these questions that maybe surprised you and concerned you, I understand. But don't jump too far ahead. Lots of kids might have, they, they watch cartoons and they see blood or that we don't know what's going on yet. Is it that he saw something and it made him curious? Is he angry and he's expressing it in this way? We want to stay more with him in the moment than go 20 years ahead so much, okay? But I, I am concerned about that and I'd want you to have, you know, even you guys can talk to someone or you can talk to someone. But I, I obviously don't think it's bad to see a psychologist whatsoever and I think it could be okay but I don't want you to, again, worry that if he asks you about something, it means something more than it is. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, 
And what's that? And after a few months, for right now, uh, he's not asking about the what's that? Okay. Uh, the dangerous stuff. Or, yeah. Uh, and he's not gonna use like this word like killing or dying, something like that. He's not gonna use it. And also, my son is so is so interested. He's toy. And for right now, he likes the dinosaurs, mm-hmm. and he knows all of the names. And I think so. My son is smart because for example with the stuff uh, with the stuff like chair or the table or with his toy he's gonna make something like a part and put the dinosaur together and someone is gonna see it is gonna think in what's that someone thinks oh my god that's so okay so yes so he's smart in that, that way what what what's your question about that though are you worried about something there just uh, no, uh, I'm just worried. Uh, what's that? Uh, sometimes he's gonna ask question about uh, what's that, and in English they're gonna call it like all attentively, like something sexually. Something okay. Like that. Yeah. So this and, is where, like I said, I feel like you have. A, there's a lot of anxiety you have, and it's okay. gonna be important for you to deal with your anxiety. He's gonna ask you a thousand questions that you don't know the answer to. He's going to ask you a thousand questions that you won't know how to answer. So you have to be ready for that. He's going to ask you about sex. He's going to ask you about his body, other people's body. You have to be ready for those questions. And it's okay that you won't maybe know exactly what to say. And you want to make sure you don't make him feel bad for asking the questions, that he's curious. You can tell him, I don't know, or maybe I have to think about that, or we can talk about that. So you never want to make him feel bad that he's having these questions because kids have these questions they hear something they think something and they're going to ask and so again like i don't want you to think if he asks about sex it means when he's older he's going to be this or that when it comes to sex kids have questions so he's going to ask you those things and you have to be ready for them but what i'm hearing in a lot of how you talk and the way you talk about things is that you're dealing with a lot of anxiety and it makes everything that he goes through you magnify it and worry about it now and worry about what it means in the future and just freak out. And that's going to put more pressure on him and on you. So he's going to ask you about sex. That's part of what kids go through is they're going to want to know about these things. He's going to ask you about death. Even kids wonder about that stuff. They don't quite understand it. Even when he says killing, usually kids, they might say, yeah, I'm going to kill you or this is going to kill, but they don't really get what kill even means or that when someone dies, they go away forever. They don't really get a lot of what's going on. So I wouldn't worry so much about those things he's going to bring up because he's going to bring up a lot of them. And I'm also worried about how you and his mom are going to co-parent him because you guys have to work together to take care of him and to make sure he's getting the best love from both of you. Um, and yes, take him to see doctors and, and all that. That's fine. But make sure you're not making something a bigger deal than it has to be. He's going to ask you about something. Don't freak out about it now that when he's 10, he might ask you about sex. He might even ask you before then, but don't worry about that too much. Now you can think about it, but don't get so worried about that. I mean, were, were you worried about when he asks you what you're supposed to say? Uh, yeah, because uh, uh, for right now, you, you told me uh, they have a lot of thousand questions, mm-hmm. the children, mm-hmm. and you don't know the answer, well, example, yeah. sex or God. I don't, honestly, I don't answer my son. Or I'm going to say, I don't know, Daddy. I, I don't know, my son. I don't know what should I say. Well, sometimes you won't know. But, you know, don't worry about, again, like I think parents sometimes think they need to have the answer, and you don't. 
And that actually takes some of the pressure off. You don't need to know, even if he asks you why the sky is blue and you're not exactly sure why, you say, I don't know, we can look it up together. Or if he asks you about sex, you know, and one thing that I'm hearing of what you're saying that I'm concerned about is something that a lot of Iranians do is they think, you know what, if I don't talk about something, it like disappears. So if I never respond about sex, he'll never think about sex. And that's not going to happen. Kids and teenagers, they're going to think about sex. They're going to talk to each other about it. And if you don't talk about it, all that happens is that he doesn't hear from you. It doesn't mean he doesn't think about it. So rather than saying, I don't know to everything, I would listen to him and see if there's a way you can answer it based on his age to give him some kind of an answer, but not completely ignore his question, but of course not overwhelm him with information either. So I wouldn't just say, I don't know to everything because you're afraid to talk about it. You have to face some of your own fears about talking about these issues. Lots of Iranians have taboos around these types of issues like sex and dating, and they think you should just never talk about it. You know, in American families, they talk about when did you have the talk with your parents about sex? And in Persian families, they don't even know what you're talking about because they never have the talk. They don't talk about sex as if it doesn't exist. And we think somehow it's better to never talk to our kids about these issues and send them out into the world uninformed and not not able to talk to us we want to show them they that they can talk to us about this let's say he's 16 and he's thinking about things related to sex i'd rather he could come talk to you because he knows you can handle the conversation than to think than to think that daddy's afraid of talking about this so that's why i don't want you to only say i don't know or tell him in a way that he shouldn't talk about this you want to make it that you can have conversations about anything you won't always know the answers you won't be able to always tell him everything but he can always bring up a conversation with you that he shouldn't be afraid to talk to you about anything because that's always okay. 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 And also, I have two questions more because I don't have a lot of friends uh -huh. myself because something like I'm new in this country. Yeah. You know what? We're, hold on one second. I want to let what? you ask those questions. We're at a commercial break. We can maybe have those after the break. Okay? Just hold on the okay, line. Okay, sure. Thank you. Sure. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Delok. We will be right back. Welcome back. Before the break, we're with the caller. Let's go back to him now. Radio Hamra, are you still there? Uh, yes. Okay, so you said you had a few more questions. I want to give you a little bit of time to talk about your son. You said you had a couple more questions about him. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, what's the, the first question is, uh, because I already told you I don't have a lot of friends and there are no kids around of my son or something like that. I, uh, I put my son, with, uh, I sign up his name uh, for after school and he's okay. going to stay until 6. He's going to go... Uh, to school a 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. What do you think? Do you think it's a good idea or my son is yeah. going to get... Well, are you putting him in that, you said, because you want him to be around other kids or is it because you can't pick him up until 6 p.m.? Uh, sometimes, uh, actually, both. I want okay. to, I want him to be around of the kids the mm -hmm. same as his age and also I, sometimes I cannot pick him up. But okay. sometimes uh, I, I want to get up uh, my word, I'm going to pick him up early, something sure. like So I would say, okay, so I would say in, you want to always ask him about what he likes. If he likes the after school program, that can be good. 
I think it would be good to get him into other activities, though, like sports, for example, if, if he likes that. Talk to him if there's a sport he likes, soccer, basketball, whatever, and get him on a team, something that's a different type of thing than just being at school. So I would talk to him first because he's the one that can decide what he likes and doesn't like. Um, but I would recommend something also outside of school. It could even be on top of him staying at the after-school thing. But I would think about that if you're saying you're worried about introducing him to friends or helping him make friendships. I think a team would be even a better way to do that. Yeah, my son likes it, what's that, after the school, and okay. he likes it very well. But sometimes he's going to say, Daddy uh, or Mommy, uh, pick me up early. But after that, you're going to pick him up, and what's that, he's going to say, No, Daddy, uh, Mommy, well, I'm going to stay here. I don't want to come back home. Okay. But so, you know, we want to listen to what he's saying, because maybe when he, you know, he's saying, Pick me up early. He misses you. He doesn't want to be away from you guys. But then when he's there, maybe he likes being there, doesn't want to leave. So it could be both. He wants to be with you, but he also likes being there. But like I said, I would also see if there's other activities you can get him into, like a sport or other classes that he might like. Okay. Okay, sure. Yeah. Uh, your father always say that. Yeah. And also, uh, the reason, uh, what's that? The other question is about his homework. And uh, I always listen to your father, okay, don't push your mm -hmm. son or your daughter to do, you have to do your homework, something like that. And, and what's that for, uh, what's that for his reading, it's mandatory, he has to read the book every night. And after that, sometimes he, he's not going to read it. And I'm not good, or um, me or his mom is not going to push him, okay, you have to read it, or something like that. Mm -hmm. uh, what do you think? Well, I you know What's we don't want to yeah. There's there's somewhere in between forcing and saying okay you don't have to do something. We still want to encourage him and see if you can make it more fun for him. Not like you have to sit down and read, but oh we get to read this book today. I wonder what tonight's book is going to be about. Or we have to you know we get to read a few pages about this, and then somehow join him. Can you help me read some of the words if he can read some words yet? So. I agree that you don't want to force him or put this strong pressure that you have to get this done tonight and we have to do it every night. Um, but we have to try to be more creative with our kids and getting them to see the value in what they're doing and to also make it more fun for them. So if you say you have to read this book, it's very different than, oh, we get to read this book. I'm really wondering what happens to the caterpillar in this book today or whatever the book is about. You know, So you have to try to engage with him in a way to make it more enjoyable so that also he enjoys reading and makes it fun, not that it's some kind of chore that he has to do and that it's boring and bad, and but he has to get it done. You know, So I, I wouldn't just say because we don't want to pressure him, we just say, okay, you don't have to do it. We still want to try to work with him to encourage him to do what he's asked to do at school, but we, we don't want to completely uh, pressure him either. So we want to try to find that. I wouldn't just let go of that, if that makes sense. Uh, yeah, actually, what's that? He's more comfortable to read a book with me because, uh, because you know, my reading is not good, very good. And he's going to have fun. Okay, Daddy, you don't know this word? And he's going to laugh something like that. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I don't know. You have to teach me. That's great. And, and that's that's perfect. And that's very good of you that you can do that with him. So that's what I mean. You want to see what, what helps him. you know. So it's not that we force him, but we also don't say, okay, you don't want to do it. You don't want to do it. We see, okay, he prefers reading with dad, but let's say he likes doing his math with mom. 
So we try to find a way to make it work. Or he likes doing it this way or that way. So we try to help him get the work done. We don't force him, but we also don't completely ignore it either and say, you never have to do anything, right? So we still are going to be encouraging and supportive, but we try to find a way to make it from this young age, it could be great to make it so he sees homework not as something like a punishment, but something that fun he gets to do because he gets to learn and learning is fun and doing your work is fun and feels good. So we want to instill in him some of those good feelings about doing good things um, without the pressure that it's something bad and work. Yeah. Yeah. D- d- yeah. Because uh, for because sometimes uh, what's that? Uh, uh, his mom and. I watch that sometimes are not, uh, we are not agree together about his homework because I listened uh, to you yeah. and your father. For holidays, it's holidays for the kids. Uh, your father is always saying they don't have to do homework. They, have, they need to have spend with the parents and to do act- mm-hmm. more activities. I always say that to my ex-wife, we have to do like that. I'm going to take my son to the park. We're going to play basketball together. Mm-hmm. And I don't like it, my son, to do homework. Uh, because uh, your always your father is saying, uh, "What's that? We didn't bring the children to be a library in this world." Mm-hmm. Yeah, what, but, but here's the thing: I would say is very important is that you and your ex-wife, like I was saying before, there's something we call co-parenting. So you guys aren't married anymore, but you are parents to this son together still, for the rest of his life. So you have to work with her too. So I wouldn't say, no, he has to play basketball today because it's holiday and he can't do anything but basketball. Maybe she says he reads for 10 minutes if he likes it too. You know, that's another thing we have to be aware of. We sometimes as adults have ideas about work that a kid might not have. A kid might like vacuuming the room. The kid might say, I'd love to vacuum. But we think, no, vacuuming is a chore. It's work, so you don't do it today. Today you just have fun. But the kid might like it. So a kid might like to read and say, I love reading because it's fun for me. So we don't say, no, you have to have fun in the way that I say is fun. And because reading can be considered work, you can't do work today because it's a holiday. We let them also have that space. So I wouldn't make it so black and white that he can't read on a holiday. He only can have what we consider fun. And like I said, even kids can enjoy chores, things that we think of as work. They might say, it's so fun for me to clean the dishes because I have fun with you cleaning the dishes. But we don't say, no, no, that's work, so you have to go sit down because sitting down is what we consider relaxing. So I wouldn't make it so strict, but also make sure you and her work together. It's not just one of you makes a decision. You have to come to these decisions together. That will be better for your son. And I wouldn't make it so inflexible that... If she says, I'd like for him to do 20 minutes of homework, I would say, no, you can't do any homework today. Maybe he even will enjoy it if, if you present it to him in a certain way. So uh, I would make sure you're more doing what she wants and you want together than what anyone else is telling you to do. Be on the same page with her. Okay. Uh, yeah, actually, what's that for the holidays? Uh, my son is not going to do his homework. If he okay. likes it, I'm going to help him. Uh, what's that? to do his homework if he doesn't know something like that. Mm-hmm. But what's that? I, and always I'm going to say he's mine. I don't want to argue with you. Just I'm going to have the best future for our son. Good. Just I'm going to cooperate with you. And sometimes she's going to say, okay, I'm busy. Could you pick up uh, our son? Yeah, I'm so you, say, you guys have okay, to work together. Yeah. You guys are, you know, yeah, yeah. again, you guys are not married anymore. That relationship is over, but... As co-parents, as long as you guys are alive, you're his co-parents and you have to be willing to work together. And like I said, sometimes it's less important if you do something this way or that way. 
it could be more important than you and her are on the same page and he feels that that'll make him feel more comfortable than specifically if you read 20 minutes or 30 minutes so make sure you work with her not against her for your kid at the end of the day okay and the last question okay uh, i know maybe i know the answer uh, what's that uh, at night my son is what's that he wants to sleep and yeah. uh, and he's always said daddy you have to sleep next to me and <laughs> uh, i'm going to ask him okay uh, uh, what's going on are you scared or something like that he said because it's dark and it's scary and i'm going to go to, uh, what's that through the window, I'm going to say, son, see, there is nothing here. Everything is okay. Or you're watching something, cartoon, they're not real. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not real. Uh, and and he's going to say, no, daddy, you have to sleep. I'm going to sleep next to him. And what's that? Just hold his hand until he's going to fall in asleep. I'm going to go to my room. And after that, two hours or three hours, I, I'm going to wake up. I can't see my son. Yeah. So that's why, what I would say is this. A few things. One is you can leave a little light in his room. So he doesn't have to be in the dark. Lots of kids have night lights. That's fine. Even adults have night lights, so it's okay. He can have a night light if that makes him more comfortable. And I wouldn't lie to him. I would say, I'm going to stay with you till you fall asleep, but not that I'm going to lay next to you. Because then he wakes up and you're not there and he gets scared. So even though he might not like it, I would tell him the truth about what you're going to do and not say something or make him feel like you're going to sleep there and then he wakes up, you're not there. You can let him know. And maybe he won't like it, but then you guys talk about it. And not just talk about it at bedtime, even talk about it when he's awake. You know, now that you're becoming older and a bigger boy, you know, daddy can't sleep next to you. We all sleep in our same beds, but I can stay with you until you fall asleep. So you let him know what you're going to do. And you actually do that. But if you tell him or he thinks, okay, daddy's going to sleep next to me, then he wakes up in two hours, you're gone. He's going to get scared. And he's going to come wake you up because he's even more scared now because he feels like he thought you were there and you're gone. And that's not a good feeling. So you want to be yeah, but, real with him. And like I said, he can have a light in his room. That's fine. Yeah, uh, I always I put this choice uh, uh, on my phone. If you're going to be dark or the light is going to be off or on, it's up to you. Whatever you like or whatever you're comfortable with with it yeah but but he's uh, after that he's gonna sleep next to me and i'm gonna i hear that he's like some like that drowsy and he's also asleep i'm gonna uh what's that hug him and put him back on his room and what's that but i was thinking maybe my son is doing like that because of that divorce he's, he's I mean, thinking i mean it's possible but again i wouldn't go so far ahead kids do this all kids like this they'd rather sleep next to their parents every yeah. night Right. So we don't think okay. it's because of it's because of we still have to do what's going to be right, which is you let him know. And I would talk to him not just when he's drowsy, when he's awake, have a talk with him. Because, oh, you know, I was thinking about last night. Let's talk about sleep time, because if you do it when he's drowsy and sleepy and also you're tired or he comes wakes you up in the middle of the night, you're not going to have a really good conversation or you're just going to try to settle it every time and just get rid of the problem. So I would have a talk with him when he's more awake and, and, and do that. You know, I am at another commercial break, and we have other people on the line that I want to make sure I give a chance. But I appreciate you giving giving me a call. I hope you have a great day. You too. Thank you so much. Thank My you. pleasure. Bye -bye. Take care. Bye-bye. All right, going into our last commercial break, studio number 310-441-0555. We'll be right back.
Welcome back. Let's go to another caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hello. Hi. Yes, hi. Thanks for calling. Oh, thank you very much for your time. My pleasure. <clears throat> so, actually, uh, I have a, a two questions regarding my wife's depression and severe anxiety. Okay. Um, so, uh, let me to give you a, a very small introduction about my situation. Is that okay? Sure. Just to give you a heads up, we have about 12 minutes, which okay, should be enough. Sure. But I just want to give you an idea of how much time we have. But go ahead. Um, actually, we moved to USA uh, from Canada five years ago with all my family, my two kids and my wife. Mm -hmm. So I started my job here because they offer a work permission just for me, not for my wife and my kids. So my son is 24, my daughter is 18. So we married each other 24 years ago. So, but unfortunately, my wife has no um, work permission to work here in U.S. during the last five years. And four months ago, we got a green card, and she got a work permission and is starting the job. Okay. But during the last five years, she's suffering a depression and um, severe anxiety and delusional thoughts. So that's why... Uh, my family physician introduced her to a psychotherapist mm -hmm. four years ago, and she's uh, still on the treatment of this psychotherapist, okay. not psychopsychiatrics. Okay. Um, but uh, after uh, she got a green card uh, on behalf of me, uh, she left the house four months ago, and now... Um, she filing. Uh, she hired a lawyer, and she filed for the divorce. Unfortunately, um, but um, uh, we are uh, our family in a very awful situation right now, and I don't know what should I do. Um, I know everything that uh, uh, related to her decision is related to her anxiety and delusional thoughts. But I have no control on her. What's her? Are her delusional thoughts related to you at all? Pardon? Are her delusions related to you? When you say it's the divorce is caused by her anxiety and delusions, what is? What are her delusions? Delusional it is many many kinds. For example, she believes we are not belonging to this country and we have to go back home. One of her delusion. Okay. The other delusion is that she mentioned that I have to withdraw my job. If I withdraw my job, then the system or the society give her a job and also give uh, jobs to our kids. Uh, there are many kinds of delusions. Um, okay. Uh, now, I mean, sometimes those the second one might be closer to a delusion. The first one, feeling like she doesn't belong here, is not necessarily a delusion. If she said, I feel like I'm from another planet or I'm an alien or something, I'd say that's more of a delusion. Maybe she just doesn't feel like she belongs here. So I don't know if it's necessarily to the point of delusion. It could just be she doesn't feel good in the U.S. Um, I have no idea about this uh, because it is not my background. Sure. Because uh, delusional but, thinking, just to kind of to clarify, when we talk about a delusion, it's a kind of a belief or thought that's really doesn't fit with reality. Like, for example, people can have paranoid delusions that the FBI is after them and everywhere they look, they see them, or that they can talk to God, or that 
you know, things of that nature. So what you're describing, the second one, the fact that if you have a job, she can't have a job, depending on how seriously she believes that, maybe that's more bordering on delusion. But I don't know if I would say, you know, her not feeling good as an immigrant means it's a delusion. It could just mean she doesn't feel comfortable in the country and would like to go back and you guys might just have a different opinion you think you guys should stay and she wants to go but her not feeling good here is not to me necessarily a delusion but nonetheless okay so she wants to get a a divorce and so i can understand that's not an easy situation and you feel that it's related to her anxiety how else do you feel like her anxiety is leading to her wanting to get divorced it started many years ago in Canada, and she was under treatment for some depression medications such as phylactosin, uh, but not any other strong medication. Um, so here, her psychotherapist uh, referred her to see a psychiatric mm-hmm. seven months ago, but unfortunately, she denied and canceled the appointment. Okay. So. And when I talked with the therapist, she said, I can't force your wife to go and see a psychiatrist. Right. Uh, she, uh, she needs to choose and decide. Right. And, and she denied. Um, right now, every week, uh, she see a therapist. Uh-huh. And uh, when I talk and ask the therapist what she's, what she's doing and how is her uh, mental uh, condition, her therapist uh, several times told me, I'm not able to yes. share this kind of information. And that is true. You. And she can't tell you, uh, even, you know, although it seems like you know she sees this therapist, even that relationship is confidential. But knowing how she's doing in her therapy, what they're talking about, unless your wife says, I want you to know and I want you to talk to my therapist, the therapist themselves can't tell you anything about yeah. what's going on in therapy. Now, let me ask you this from a different side. What does your wife tell you is the reason why she wants a divorce? She wants to divorce because she said, I don't like you anymore during many years. You are not in my mind and in you have no any place in my life, in my heart, mm-hmm. and go and find some somebody else and uh, something like that. Okay, was was that something she hadn't said before, or has she been saying that for a while? No, this is starting seven months ago. Okay. She didn't say anything, something like yeah. that. Did you ask her if she was open to going to couples therapy with you? Yeah, I tried uh, several times, mm-hmm. and I saw uh, a couple therapist in Boston, mm-hmm. and... Uh, he, she sent an email to her therapist and asked, is it possible, because there are a still opportunity if this couple come to my office, but uh, her therapist denied that, and she said she don't need any couple therapist. It was very weird for me uh, between two colleagues in the same field, they don't believe each other. So um, so let me understand. So you went to a couple's therapist and that person said, I'll see you guys as a couple, but your wife's individual therapist said that sh- they don't need couples therapy? Yes. And the uh, therapist told you that or your wife told you that? No, uh, the couple therapist, which I uh, went to her office seven months ago, and I explained uh, about my situation during last four years. Mm-hmm. Uh, she said, okay, I will s- 
send an email to her therapist and ask uh, if it is possible to refer her to my office because her discipline and a specialist was a couple therapist, not just a, a therapist. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, but after she sent an email to my wife's therapist, my wife's therapist denied to answer her email. So, and it was very weird for me. That's, that's a little weird for me too. But I don't know if denying to answer means that you guys can't go to couples therapy. Yeah, but uh, after I talk uh, uh, and I send an email to my wife's therapist and ask uh, why you didn't answer to this to your colleagues, mm-hmm. uh, there is a still chance if we go to a couple therapy and maybe. And there are lots of trauma on both of us, and mm-hmm. then we can find a solution. But my wife's therapist, she's an Iranian guy. Um, uh, she said, um, she said I found her email is not a professional, and that's why I didn't answer to her. Okay, okay. So it's not that the, she was saying you guys shouldn't see couples therapy for some reason. She didn't like this therapist. So yeah. I would, you know, did you look for another therapist? Uh, no, because uh, she left the house, and I have no control on her behavior. Sure, you you can't have control over someone else's behavior. But does she did she say she's open at all to couples therapy, or she said no, I'm not at all open to couples therapy. Uh, when I talk to my wife, uh, there is a still chance. Uh, let's go and see another therapist. Yeah, uh, she's a couple therapist, and she has a lots of information. And she is a PhD in a couple therapist, but unfortunately, my wife denied to come and see her um, seven months ago, and she left the house after we got the green card. Okay. So um, I could. And so she said, and your wife has she said she's open to seeing anyone, or she's saying no, I won't go. I wouldn't keep saying, can we see this person? Ask her, will you go to couples therapy? Period. Not with this person or that person. No, she doesn't like to go any, any uh, okay. it doesn't matter, uh, any therapist. She just trusts to her therapist and just follow her uh, her comments and everything that she made. Okay. So um, uh, in my opinion, I think something is wrong with this therapist because when I ask her, okay, if you diagnose my wife has a... a, a a schizoaffective disorder, mm-hmm. uh, you have to uh, refer her uh, to a psychiatric. Not after four years, you have to do. You have to did it uh, at the, uh, four years ago. Not today. It's too late. But she mentioned, oh yeah, I, I recommend it and referred her, but she denied. Okay, well, and yeah, I think definitely if schizoaffective, you you need medication. Um, so you're right about that. But, you know, we can get into, like, if she's doing a good job or not, we might not get anywhere. You know, we can't control someone else, like you said. And you're in a, I can understand you're in a very difficult situation and you feel very stuck. Yeah. Uh, I would, you can contact a therapist and say, do you think we should see a couple's therapist? Now, again, the therapist's hands might be a little bit tied about what she tells you. But just see, can you recommend someone? Okay, if she thought that other therapist was unprofessional or whatever about the email, that's fine. But what can you do to help us at least have a chance? I hope you guys can at least go to therapy before you go and get a divorce. 
Maybe your wife has already made up her mind and had made up her mind for many years. And so it doesn't matter what anyone says or does or tries. And she might make that decision, which would be very difficult for you. I can understand. Um, and I wish I had more time because I do have to wrap up the show. And, uh, you know, this is a very sensitive topic, so I don't want to just leave it at that. Um, but it is unfortunate that if that's what happens, you won't be able to control what she does. And so I would make more of an effort to, again, say, please, I think we should go to couples therapy, at least to try to see if we can save our marriage. And you can even talk to the therapist and say, if there's anyone you would recommend for us to see, please have us see them. And usually someone who saw your someone individually won't see the same couple. You know, so they saw your wife, they won't see you as a couple. Maybe she'll say yes. I don't want to even comment on that. But I would try whatever you can to at least get yourselves in the door. But if she's not willing, just like she didn't want to go to the psychiatrist, you can't force her, unfortunately. There's only right. so much you can do. And I'm sorry you find yourself in this situation. Um, wish you the best. If you, I hope you can call back another time so we have some more time to talk. Sure. Thank you very much. Sure. Have a great day. Thank okay. you. Thank you very much sure. for Bye-bye. your time. My Bye. pleasure. Bye. Bye-bye. Okay. Thank you to all the callers and the listeners and to Ghazala here in the studio. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Delaqui. Have a wonderful day.